Welcome to Pod Academy. My name is Federica Di Lascio. And just like a lot of people today, I am part of the precariat. Those precarious people who jump from one temporary job to another. I have moved from one city to another since I was a student at university in Turin, always working in more and more short-term and less and less secure jobs. So I live it, I experience it. But I wanted to understand the conditions and the challenges of precarity better. As we can see from movements and demonstrations around the world, it is surely one of the most pressing issues today. I had a conversation with Guy Standing, author of The Precariat, The New Dangerous Class, published by Bloomsbury in 2011, and the upcoming book A Precariat Charter, Denizens to Citizens. Professor Guy Standing, what is the contribution of your book to the studies about precariat? The term precariat has been used in German, in French, in Italian, and in various ways. But I think what my book did was, for the first time, give a specific definition with particular elements to it that put it in a class structure. You have to understand the precariat from the perspective of globalization and the pursuit of more flexible labor markets, which have gradually reduced the old forms of labor security that were provided to the proletariat in the 20th century. I define the classes, the emerging class structure, as having a plutocracy at the top with ridiculous incomes and all sorts of powers, then a salariat of people with long-term employment security and high incomes and access to benefits and so on, alongside a group of what I call proficients, people who are project-oriented, they have good qualifications, they don't want long-term employment security, but they're earning very high incomes and living very intensively. Below those groups, the old proletariat, the old working class, has been shrinking and shrinking, but the underneath that group is the emerging precariat, but underneath the precariat is a lumpen precariat, an underclass. And I think it's very important for everybody who is looking at the precariat phenomenon to re- understand that global capitalism and the state want a precariat. It's not something that is an accidental outcome of the economic system. Who are the members of the precariat and what are their main common features? The precariat consists of people who are insecure in terms of access to jobs. They don't have any form of income security or employment protection. And that's the most obvious part of the definition. But it isn't, in my view, the most important part. The most important part is that people in the precariat do not have an occupational identity, do not have a narrative they can give to their lives so that they have a sense of developing their capabilities, developing their skills, and developing their status. And the second important part is that they are what I call supplicants. Now, the original definition of precarious was a sort of begging. You're having to beg for entitlements. You have to beg for the benefits in society. You don't have them as guaranteed rights under the law or under the economic system. And that is why I think it's important 
important to think of the precariat as denizens, not citizens. A denizen is somebody who has fewer rights than a citizen in the same country. What you find is that people in the precariat not having access to civil rights, they're not having access to political rights, they're not having access to economic rights, they're not having access to social rights, and in many respects they're not having access to cultural rights. So the five types of rights are all weakened for the precariat. I think that's a very important part of the precariat, that they are denizens. Another important aspect is that for the first time in history, we have a mass class of people in our society whose qualifications are systematically greater than the labor, the jobs they're expected to perform. And this creates a real problem of what I call status frustration and alienation from the labor that, that they're expected to undertake. And that status frustration is part of the crisis of the precariat, particularly among young people who are emerging from university and colleges. Why do you define the precariat as a class in the making? Essentially what it means is that at the moment a lot of people who are in the precariat know what they're against. They know they're against all the insecurity, the begging that they're expected to undertake. But at the same time, they don't know as a group what they want instead. Well, I think we've just seen this with Beppe Grillo and the Five Star Movement in the election in February, where he was able to mobilize different parts of the precariat against the state, against the, the Social Democrats, against Berlusconi. But there's a, a disunity in what it stands for that rejection. And I think it's important to understand the precariat in that sense as consisting of three groups. The first group consists of people who are falling out of working class communities, old working class communities. They don't have a lot of education, but they are confused, they're angry, they've lost a lot of things that their parents had, and they are easily listening to populists, neo-fascists, and the far right, and become anti-migrant, anti-Muslim, anti-women, anti-this, anti-that. They become all confused. The second group consists of migrants and minorities who are part of the precariat, the major part of the precariat, but they're politically detached. They're politically quiet because they're in a very weak situation wherever they are. And the third group of the precariat is the young, educated, no doubt people like yourself, who are very frustrated. They don't want to go back. They don't want to go back to the labor of their parents' generation. That's not an attractive option. And they're looking for a utopian future. And this part of the precariat is looking for a new progressive politics, and it is where the most exciting developments are taking place today. How did we reach this situation? And what's happened over the last 50 years? The last 50 years, the last 30 years really, is the collapse of the old laborist social democratic model in the 1970s led to the neoliberal emergence in the early 1980s with Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and, and all the neoliberal economists around Chicago and so on, who launched a globalization strategy based on free markets, based on dismantling 
old institutions of social solidarity and not putting in place any alternatives. And as a result, they went for a highly individualized system of competitiveness and commodification of every aspect of life. And because of the emergence of China and India and other emerging market economies, the global labor supply trebled and there was downward pressure on wages and benefits in the rich industrialized countries like Italy, like Britain, like the United States. In return, the governments of those countries tried to make their labor markets much more flexible, pushing down wages, pushing down benefits and so on. And for a while, while they were doing that, they gave cheap credit, cheap subsidies, tax credits, anything to allow consumption to remain high while wages were falling and opportunities were falling. And in that process, they produced this debt crisis that led to the financial crash of 2008. And after 2008, what has happened is that governments, through their austerity policies, have increased the number of people being pushed into the precariat enormously. And millions of people everywhere have been losing state benefits, losing enterprise benefits, losing all forms of security, and experiencing incredible levels of unemployment and underemployment in this period. So what you've now got is a much, much greater precariat in 2013 than you did in 2008. And at the moment, we are seeing a set of governments that are continuing to push the size of the precariat up and are trying to appeal to their salariats, their middle class, their more elderly, secure people to obtain enough votes to be re-elected. But I don't think that will continue for long because I think the size of the precariat has now become almost a majority. And at that point you are going to see the sort of thing that we've seen in Italy this year happening in a lot of countries, that centre-left and centre-right governments are all going to be thrown out because they've lost the legitimacy of the precariat. And I think that makes it a very interesting phase we're going to face in the next two or three years as the precariat becomes more politicised and active in the global economy. Do you think the precariat is represented publicly? No, of course not. They are treated as victims, as the cause of their own problems. You've seen that in this coalition government in Great Britain in, in incredible ways. They are trying to paint young people as, you know, the term scroungers, as idle, as living off benefits without wanting to work, without wanting to be active, without wanting to improve themselves. This is a parody. It's completely untrue, but they've managed to make people in the media and a lot of public opinion think that out there a lot of people in the precariat are lazy, are sort of irresponsible and the rest of it. All these words that are being thrown at people in the precariat are lies but at the moment the middle ground of politics is still using those expressions and I don't think it's going to be very successful for very long but right now in places like Britain it still has some support particularly from the rich and from salaried people. 
At this point, what is the short-term solution? I'm just writing a follow-up book to my the Precariat. It's called A Precariat Charter. And the charter is basically starting from the principles that we are in the midst of a global transformation crisis. We are at the moment in the midst of a global transformation, the painful construction of a global market system. And when a transformation is halfway through, through, when all the inequalities and the insecurities have grown and grown and grown, there is a crisis. There is something like a financial shock to the system. And society at that point, it can either go to the far right, or you can have a new progressive politics that emerges. Now, I think that we are at that point. We are seeing the possibility, and I'm not predicting it, but the possibility of a shift to the far right. But it will be resisted only if a new progressive politics of paradise, what is what I call it in the book, a politics of paradise emerges. And for that, three principles have to be remembered. And these three principles are basically what is happening at the moment. The first principle is that you only get a new progressive movement when the needs and aspirations of the emerging mass class are defined and identified. The second great principle is that the new forward march towards more equality, towards more security for people is will involve always involves new forms of collective social action, new forms that are not the same as the last transformation. So it will not be old-style trade unions that will lead the new collective movement. It will be other forms of collective action. And the third principle is that every transformation involves three overlapping struggles. The first struggle is a struggle for recognition. And what I mean by recognition is a sense of identity, a sense of pride in belonging to a social group that you can identify with. And I think that the 2011 movements, the Occupy movement, the Indignado, the Precari, the Den Plirona movement in Greece, the Arab Spring and so on, was collectively a huge moment when suddenly millions of people around the world felt that they had a sense of recognition of having a lot of fellow people just like them. And that sense of recognition is what's crystallizing in the precariat. So that many, many people now are not ashamed. They're proud to say, I am part of the precariat. I'm not ashamed to say it. And that sense of suddenly feeling a common identity is a vital stage in forging a new movement. Because unless you have a sense of common identity, you will not be able to develop a collective vision for a future. Now, the second struggle is a struggle for representation. And here, we must understand that in 2013, we are still not very advanced in developing a sense of representation of the precariat in all the state institutions, in all the agencies of government, in all the institutions of society. The precariat is not part of the system of governance. Notice I'm saying it that way, not government, but governance. So there's not in occupation 
educational boards. It's not in social agencies dealing with state benefits. It's not in various other political parties and so on. And I think that the struggle this year and next will be to strengthen that sense of representation and turn the precariat from being objects, treated as objects, to being subjects, having a sense of agency, a sense of voice in the Hirschman sense of that term, in all organs of the state. And the third great struggle is a struggle for redistribution. And I describe that in the book as a new form of redistribution, a new form of equality, because what the precariat wants is quite different from what the old proletariat was struggling for a century ago. In the days of the proletariat growing, they were wanting control over the means of production, over the factories, the mines, the the great estates, and were wanting access to the profits of industrial capitalism. Today, that agenda doesn't really attract most of the progressive parts of the precariat. They want a redistribution of control over their time. They want redistribution of security so that everybody has security, equal security. They want redistribution of access to quality public spaces. So they're fighting for the commons, the great spaces, the ecological parts of our living, which is chronically unequally distributed at the moment. And we're wanting a redistribution of things like financial knowledge and other forms of knowledge so that the precariat is not just treated as going to universities and colleges so that they can learn to be better breadwinners and job holders. They want a real liberating education. And that means redistributing control over education away from the elite and the commercial interests towards the precariat. Now, how you translate all that into specific policies, I think you can see that what defines the transformation ahead is one that is going to be led by the interests and needs of the growing precariat, and in particular that third part, that progressive part which is dominated largely by younger people. It's very difficult to understand how to represent precarious workers publicly and how to develop the right policies. It's very interesting this point about solutions as political solutions, but I consider the precariat to be too weak and diverse within, with a lot of differences amongst workers. Surely in the past the working class had similar needs. If you look back historically, you will see that when the Industrial Revolution was taking place, when the Great Transformation was taking place, the working class was certainly not united. It did not have a single common identity. There were many different types. There were craft workers that didn't have the same interests as day laborers. There were all different groups, some looking back, some looking forward, some some looking to the far right, some to the far left. There was equally heterogeneous characteristics of the proletariat and the working class. I don't buy the argument that because there 
there are differences within the precariat, that means that there will not be enough in common to create a new progressive politics. And I think one of the challenges ahead will be to say, look, certain parts of that atavistic first variety of the precariat actually do not have to go to the far right. If they can be induced to understand that their real enemy is the nature of the inequality where the plutocracy and the salariat are gaining all the benefits of society and they are losing out, that in itself would lead to them wanting to support a progressive redistribution policy. And at the same time, you have to realize that a lot of people in the salariat itself are facing a situation in which their children are in the precariat. And suddenly they're not just thinking about their own interests, they are also thinking of the next generation's interests. And therefore they are likely to say, I want to support the movement of the precariat. So I think what you're going to see is a gradual solidifying of a progressive agenda around the progressive part of the precariat. Sometimes we are accused of being idealistic. This is the nature of the intergenerational debate throughout history. Every older generation tells the new generation that they're being idealistic and unrealistic. And then 50 years later, all that the young were struggling for have come into reality and they tell the next generation that they're being idealistic in imagining things changing from that stage. I think it's the normal thing that the older generation tends to be conservative and to resist some changes. But actually what I found in the last three or four years as I've gone around talking about the precariat around the world is that a lot of young people understand and a lot of older people too. A lot of older people have written to me, have spoken to me and have said, yeah, I can see what is happening and I'm worried about the next generation and therefore we have to be open to change ourselves. And I think that's very healthy. So you, what you've got, again, is of course you have some resistance by the old people who they've got used to their ways, but I think you're finding that there's a lot more openness to the debates around the precariat because you can see that millions and millions of people are suffering from the insecurities and the impoverishment and the denial of opportunity to develop themselves in their ordinary lives that there's a coming together across the generations for a progressive struggle and the, the, the anger out there is growing and so it should. Join Bin Italia which is the basic income network. It's set it up to some great people in it and the international movement for a basic income is an important part of the progressive agenda for the precariat. Mm-hmm.